Hallelujah, we worship you, Jesus. We give praise to your holy name. Hallelujah. Yes, you are worthy, Lord. Hallelujah. You know, we come to worship God, don't we? Hallelujah. Woo! Well, I was tempted to let Jessica or Pete preach, but you know what? <laughs> I got to have my turn too, right? <laughs> Woo! Well, we are in our series on learning from the prophets. We are week number four, so we're going to continue on in that this morning. You're going to have to bear with me because we're having technical difficulties, which means Adam is going to try and keep up with me this morning, right, Adam? Yeah. Woohoo! There we go. Learning from the prophets. Usually I've got complete control. I go at whatever speed I want, and Adam's going to have to do Jordan speed. <laughs> so we're talking about learning from the prophets, and I love the Old Testament prophets just because they are so uh, not perfect. <laughs> and that's the best way to put it because, you know, so many people put, put the pressure on themselves as Christians. to They have to be perfect, and there's only one perfect person in the Bible. His name was Jesus. Everybody else was deeply flawed, and he used them anyways. He worked with them anyways, and he turned them from being deeply flawed to those who turned the world upside down. And that's what the book of Acts said. It said that those who have turned the world upside down have come to us. People had a buzz going on. They were hearing about the miracles. They were hearing about the signs and the wonders. They were hearing about the church expanding and they weren't talking about Jesus. He wasn't the one doing it. It was the ones that he taught and released to do it. And that's why it's so great this morning. I don't have to do anything. I could sit back and everybody else gets to minister. Because it's not about the pastor. I am not the church. We are the church. And we all have gifts and callings from God that you will never find your fulfillment in this world until you learn to stand in the position that He has created for you to fulfill. Hallelujah. So we're talking about the prophets. And we started with Elijah. Elijah was great, but we told you that he was a type of John the Baptist and that Elisha, who came after him, was a type of Jesus. And so we see a lot of reflections and parallels in the ministry of Elisha in the same ministry of Jesus. And so we have to understand that not everything from the Old Testament is directly applicable to our lives. It was for people under the law, but there are echoes and shadows. We call them picture types and shadows in the Old Testament that point us to what Jesus was coming to fulfill and the day that we now walk in. And so last weekend we were talking about Naaman the leopard. Leper. Let me get my words going here. Naaman the leper. And Naaman was a general in the Aramean army. He was the general leading the fight against Israel. He's not a friend of Israel. He's not a friend of Judah. He is leading the army against them. And during one of their raids, they bring home some slaves to, to work in their, in their, to their uh, houses. And there was a, a, a young girl that was brought back that was serving Naaman's wife. And Naaman ha had leprosy. And so one day the slave girl says, you know, I wish my master would go and find the prophet who is in Israel because he would surely heal him of his leprosy. And so Naaman went to the king, which would be King Benadad, if you want to fill in the blanks. He is not a good king. 
He is dead set on conquering Israel and Judah, taking their land for himself. And so Naaman comes to him and says, hey, I hear there's a prophet in Israel that can heal me of this. And so the king says, hey, you know what? Take whatever you need, head that direction. I'll send a letter to their king. And the king basically was this. Here is my servant Naaman. Heal him. What a letter to receive from your enemy. And so the king tears his clothes in grief. And he says, what, am I God that I can do this? And so Elisha heard that the king had torn his clothes and he came to the king and he says, hey, what's up? He said, send him to me. And then he'll know that there is a God in Israel. My goodness, for us to be in that position, there's such a buzz that's going to be going on in your lives with the Holy Spirit that people are going to say, send him to Gail, send him to Garnet, send him to Craig, send him to Pete, send him to those ones who they know how to contact God, who know how to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. So Elisha says, why are you so upset about this king? There's a God in Israel and send him to me and he'll find him. And so Naaman shows up on Elisha's doorstep with a whole big bag of gold and silver and some nice sets of clothes. And he bangs on the door and Elisha doesn't even bother to come to the door. He sends his servant and the servant says, go down to the Jordan River, dip seven times, you'll be good. Shuts the door. Not at all what Naaman was expecting. So he gets mad and he says, I surely thought he would come out and meet me. That he would wave his hand over me and I'd be miraculously whole. And he says, and aren't the rivers back in Damascus much better than this dirty thing he wants me to go? And so he sulks away upset. And how many times have we been in Naaman's position where we're like, God, I need you to do this. And he tells you to do something so simple. And so one of his servants points out to him and says, hey, General Naaman, don't chop off my head for being the bad news guy, but if he would have told you to do something hard, wouldn't you have done it? So surely if he has uh, told you to do something simple, go and do it. So in verse 14 it says, so Naaman went down to the Jordan River and he dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed, and the skin, his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. He was obedient, and miracles flew. He was obedient, and miracles showed up. And we wonder how it's hard sometimes. It's simply, what did God tell us to do? Do it, you'll be fine. That's how simple he's made it for us. And so Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God, and they stood before him, and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elisha refused. Elisha was trying to get across to Naaman that you cannot buy the power of God. You cannot work for the power of God. The power of God is the power of God. You worship God and that's what happens. And so Elisha refuses his gifts. Then Naaman said, all right, but please allow me to load up two mules with earth from this place and I'll take it back home with me. From now on, I will never again offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other God except the Lord. 
So he finds out that it's not about his money, it's about who you worship. And so you have to understand, in those times, where you worshipped, you worshipped in Israel. You worshipped at the sacred places. You worshipped at, synag- at, the, at the tabernacle. You worshipped at the temple. You didn't worship other places. And so he said, well, if I can't be here, I'll take it with me. God got his heart. But, let's continue. Here's where we're picking up from last week. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, so the guy who opened the door and said, go wash seven times in the river, shows back up in the scene. He says, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, my master should not have let this Aramean get away without accepting any of his gifts. As surely as the Lord lives, I will chase after him and I will get something from him. Isn't it amazing that you can be in the presence of God, seeing miracles, having an amazing time, and still not catch the heart of God. And so here Gehazi assesses the situation a little bit different than Elisha and says, we surely should have taken the loot. So Gehazi set off after Naaman, and when Naaman saw Gehazi running after him, he climbed down from his chariot and he went to meet him. And he says, is everything all right? Naaman asked. He said, yes, Gehazi said, but my master has sent me to tell you that two young prophets from the hill country of Ephraim have just arrived, and he would like 75 pounds of silver and two sets of of clothing to give them. Wouldn't we all like 75 pounds of silver and two sets of nice clothes? So that's what Gehazi's request is. And Naaman says, by all means, take twice as much silver. And he gave him two sets of clothing, he tied up the money in two bags, and he sent two of his servants to carry the gifts for Gehazi. But when they arrived at the citadel, Gehazi took the gifts from the servant, and he sent them back, and he went and hid the gifts inside his house. Hid the gifts inside his house. You want to know how you know it's wrong? You don't want anybody else to know about it. That's generally an easy guideline. If you're ashamed of it, it's probably not the right course of action to be taking. So Gehazi hid it inside his house, and he went into his master, and Elisha asked him, Where have you been, Gehazi? He said, I haven't been anywhere. You know, this is the equivalent of Elijah up on the mountain, and God saying to Elijah, Why are you here, Elijah? You know, God's always willing to talk. Just because you've screwed up doesn't mean he'll stop talking. And so he says, where have you been, Gehazi? God gives him the opportunity to come clean. And he says, no, I haven't been anywhere. But Elisha asked him, do you not realize that I was there in spirit when Naaman stepped down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to receive money? and clothing, and olive groils, groils, groves, and vineyards, sheep, and cattle, and male, and female servants. Is this the time to get rich, Gehazi? Is this the time to be building your businesses? Is this the time to be setting out in other directions? Is this the time, Gehazi? And the answer for them was no. God had called them to serve the people. But Gehazi's motives were starting to change. You know, it's so easy as we set out on the path that God has asked us to walk to have opportunities to veer off course. The great thing with God is you just do this. That's His grace. He'll always bring you back 
if you're willing, but he'll never force you to do anything you don't want to do. And so Elisha says, do you not realize my spirit was right there? I saw the whole thing. And we have to think about that in our lives. There is nothing that is hidden from God. God sees absolutely everything we do. He sees the motives. He sees the intents of our hearts. He knows how it really is. So he's the last person we want to be lying to because it's impossible to lie to him. We don't have to try and make it look good for God. We try and make it look good for people, but give up trying to make it look good for God. He sees through it. So Elisha says, because you have done this, you and your descendants will suffer from Naaman's leprosy forever. And when Gehazi left the room, he was covered in leprosy and his skin was white as snow. We have to understand that we are leaving a legacy for our children. And what Gehazi set out to do impacted his children and his children's children. What the choices you make today are impacting more than just your life. You, the choices that you make are setting up a legacy for your children. And the, the thing about church and God and uh, our relationship is it doesn't take place on Sunday morning. Really, this is the time where we come together to strengthen each other, but your relationship is walked out every other day of the week. And they don't care if you came to church Sunday morning. They'll remember seeing you with God at home. They'll remember seeing you with God in the car as you're about to go into a meeting. They'll remember seeing you with God at the table. So we're leaving a legacy to our children. Is it one that prepares them spiritually as well as naturally? That's something we need to keep in mind when we're dealing with our kids and our grandkids. You know, the Bible says that a rich man or a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And we always associate that with money. But it really isn't. It's wisdom. It's character. It's all these other things. And why does he leave it to his children's children? Because you know who spends a lot of time with grandkids? Grandparents. And so we are leaving a legacy for those who come after us and those who are watching. And with the help of God, my goodness, what a great legacy it's going to be. You know, there was a few times this week if I'm being honest, I had a bit of an attitude. <laughs> Pastor Rom's like, yep, yep, I saw one of those. But I remember as I was in a bit of a mood one day that then Harrison came up and he sat down and he snuggled in. And I was kind of like, oh, I don't have time for this right now, Harrison. You know, this is really not what I need. But then I thought about this section of, of the, the series we're doing. Think about that. And I was like, you know what? He doesn't need to see me on my mood. He needs to see me with my heart of love because my heart is a reflective of my God. Keep that in mind when we're with others around. What are you leaving behind? You know, three weeks ago, we did the story about the floating axe head. And the story ends rather abruptly. It goes like this. So Elisha took the stick, threw it in the water, the axe head floated, and the guy grabbed it. End of story. And I think that's important to remember. What did the stick represent? What did we say that the stick represent? The cross. After the cross, nothing else matters. So I want to pick up right there. 
The axe head floats, the guy grabs it, the story ends, and it abruptly starts right into the next story. And it goes like this. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel. Now, think about this. What just happened for the king of Aram? He just got his general back. So as good as Israel was, or Elisha, and God was to Naaman, it didn't change the heart of the king of Aram. It says, when the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately, Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, do not go near that place for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops. My goodness, if you think about the implications of that, they're at war. And all of a sudden, the Arameans are like, we're going to go attack here. And Elisha just says, don't go there. That's where they're coming. Now put this in context of your life. You're about to walk into a situation that's less than ideal. What happens? Holy Spirit says, don't go there. It's not going to work out for your best. And that's why we need to be listening to the heart of God and in tune with what he's saying because he will keep you from harm. He will move you to where you need to be so that you can be in a place of blessing rather than a place of harm. And so that's what God is doing for Israel, and you are a type of Israel in this story. He wants to give you wisdom. He wants to speak to your heart so that you can move into the places of abundance, where you can move into places of safety and walk away and detach from those things that are trying to pull you back. That's why the Bible says, lay aside every weight and hindrance that would stop us from running. And how do we do that? You let go of things when you're listening to God. Be like, okay, if that's not what I need, go. And so that's what's happening here for Israel. And it says, so the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. And time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. And the king of Aram became very upset over this. And he called his officers together and demanded, which of you is the traitor? You know, it's got to be what he's thinking. It's like, how do they always know where we're going to be? It's got to be one of you. And it says, it says, who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? And they said, it's not us. Really, what are they supposed to say? Yeah, it's me. <laughs> it says, it's not us, my lord king. One of the officers replied, Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. And he said, go and find out where he is so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back, Elisha is at Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. And he said, oh, sir, what are we going to do now? So this is how the scene goes. He gets up, he's a little groggy, it's the morning, come on. How many else are like that in the morning? Do I have to get up? And so he gets out, he's, okay, got to go out and draw some water from the well. Oh my goodness, we are surrounded. And so he wakes up Elijah, or Elisha, and Elisha says, do not be afraid, for there are more on our side than there are on theirs. Now think about that for a second. Whatever situation you find yourself in, this statement is always true for you. Whatever you face, there are more for you than are against you. It doesn't matter if there's a million strong army at your door, you got 10 million surrounding you. Yes. But the servant didn't see it. And I think we've all been in situations before where it's 
piling upon us and we're looking around and it's like, I just don't see how this is going to work out for good. And so Elisha prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes, let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw the hillsides around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. You know, when I was reading that last week, something caught my attention. It wasn't the hillsides around Dothan that were surrounded. It's the hillsides around Elisha. Wherever you go, is where the protection is. Wherever you go is where the provision is. It's not based upon your location. It's based upon your God. And what did we say about Elisha? He had that a mantle that he got from Elijah. And wherever he went, the power of God went with him. And whenever he chose to hit the water, the waters parted. Whenever he needed to do miracles, the power was there because it moves with you right now. God doesn't wake up in the morning and say, I think I'm going to go move to Timbuktu. <laughs> he wakes up in the same bed as you, Pete. And so the hillsides around Elisha were filled with horses and chariots of fire. And as the army of the Arameans advanced towards him, Elisha prayed, O Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. And then Elisha went out and told them, you have come the wrong way. Maybe we should be saying that to some of our problems. You have showed up at the wrong place. This is not where you need to be. This is not where I'm going to let you stay. And so he says, you've come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me and I'll take you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to the city of Samaria. And as soon as they had entered Samaria, Elisha prayed, O oh Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they discovered that they were in the middle of Samaria. And when the king of Israel saw them, he shouted to Elisha, My father, should we kill them? Should I kill them? And the answer, of course, is no. Of course not, Elisha replied. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink and send them home again to your master. Seriously, Elisha? You want me to feed my enemies? And then you want me to send them back so they can fight me again? You know, sometimes the plan of God doesn't sound uh, sane to our heads, but you still follow the instructions he gives you regardless of it looks weird. Regardless of it looks like, why would I do that? You know, it do everything doesn't have to be logical. Everything doesn't have to make sense. Everything should always line up with the Word of God, but to what you're looking at, it doesn't always be like, yes, that should be the right move for me. A lot of times we're like, seriously, God? Did you send that letter to the right house? Am I reading my neighbor's mail? And so he says, give them food and drink and send them home again to their master. So the king made a great feast for them and sent them home to their master. And after that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel for a period of time. Yeah. You know, sometimes we can read it and be like, oh yeah, and they never came back. That was not the case. They stayed away for a while. So we have a period of time that has now transpired 
between verse 23 and where we're picking up in verse 24, where it says, Sometime later, however, King Benadad of Aram mustered his entire army and besieged Samaria. And as a result, there was a great famine in the city. And the siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver, which is about $350, and a cup of dove's dung sold for about five pieces of silver, which is about $30. Now, there's some theological dispute over whether or not this was actually a cup of bird poop. Some say that, oh, it was probably just a slang word for some local vegetables that were grown. Um, if you still have vegetables left, are you eating a donkey's head? I think it pretty much is what it is. It, the, it, the, the writer used the word he wanted to use. And so they're eating donkey's heads and bird poop to survive. That's how bad things have gotten. There's no food in the city. There's no vegetables. There's nothing. They're eating ridiculousness. And it says sometime later, oh, sorry, next verse, 26. One day the king of Israel was walking along the wall of the city. And a woman called to him and said, Please help me, my lord, the king. And he answered, If the lord doesn't help you, what can I do? So we understand the king has now taken on an attitude. If the lord doesn't help you, what do you think I can do? I neither have food from the threshing floor nor wine from the press to give you. Situation goes downhill big time. They were eating donkey's heads and bird poop, and then they start eating each other. And the king looks around at the situation desperate, as desperate it is, and he decides, you know what? This is God's fault, and I can't get God, so let's kill Elisha. <laughs> Have you ever feel, been in a situation like that where it's like people who used to be your friends are now like, out with you? That doesn't change how God feels about you. Everybody else can leave you. Everybody else can take off. God will never do that. And so he tries to kill Elisha, and Elisha says, hey, you know what? I'm going to stay right where I am. And finally, the king shows up, and he says, all this misery is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? You know, it's very easy when you've been going through a situation for a while, to let it turn to bitterness. Please don't. Realize God is still coming through for you. But it's been too long, Pastor Jordan. God is still coming through. I can't bear the pain anymore. God is still coming through. But the bank said they're coming quicker. God is still coming through. So the king was like, I ain't waiting any longer. Let's kill the man of God. If you feel that about your pastor, please feel free. <laughs> feel free to find a new church first. <laughs> and Elisha replied, listen to the message from the Lord. When you're in your pit of desperation, guess what? God is sending word to you. He said, listen to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow, the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost about one piece of silver, or five bucks. And 12 quarts of barley, of grain, will cost one piece of silver. So they're going from eating donkey heads and bird poop to best flowers you can get. 
cheap. Very cheap, too. And the officer assisting the king said to the man of God, that couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. Not a good place to put yourself in. This is not even possible for God. That's what he said. He said, even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven, this couldn't happen. Well, I want to tell you a secret this morning. Not really a secret. It's pretty plain. The word says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God doesn't need to open the windows of heaven for you. He's already given you heaven. Because he said, we have received all this by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And sometimes when you're in the thick of the problem, it doesn't look so marvelous and it doesn't look so excellent, but that doesn't change the fact that he still has already provided. So we got a king who's blaming God and Elisha. We've got Elisha saying that God is going to turn it all around. And we've got the top officer saying that that could never happen. It's too much for God. We've got three different messages going on in the city. And when you're in the midst of it, who do you believe? Because that will dictate your outcome. You can believe, believe the king and die with him in the city. You can believe Elisha and be feasting the next day. Or you can believe the top assistant who really, who cares about his opinion anyways? He doesn't even really matter. He works for the king. So who do you believe when the situation is piling up? That will dictate your outcome. Story takes a turn here, and I love I love that it does. In chapter 7 and verse 3, it says, Now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. It says, Why should we sit here waiting to die? Why is this great? They already have nothing to lose. And when you're at the bottom of the pit, guess what? Neither do you. Believe God. What else do you have to lose? You already think it looks so desperate and horrid. What else do you have to lose? They were already sitting there waiting to die. They're not even allowed to be in the city where everybody else is starving and dying. I don't know what's the difference between being dying outside or dying inside, but apparently the people of the city still didn't want them in there. It says, why should we sit here waiting to die? And that's a question. When you're going through a situation, don't sit back. When you withdraw, you always lose. Didn't we talk about that a few weeks ago? When you choose not to engage with your faith, you always lose. So if the situation is, we're going to sit here, that's not the right answer. Get up and get moving. And they said, we will starve if we stay here. But within the with the famine in the city, we'll starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyways. <laughs> I like their logic. So, at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. But when they came to the edge of the camp, there was no one there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. And the king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptians to attack us, is what they cried out to one another. So here, as everyone else is hauled up in the city starving, four lepers get on the road and they're walking down. So 
And as soon as they're walking down the road, you may just hear a little bit of a under their feet. But my God is amplifying the sound of your victory to those who you thought were there to kill you. When you thought the situation was going under, God is already marching on your behalf. God is already coming through. And they got to the camp and everyone was already gone. And here, the rest of them are sitting there afraid of the battle and God has already won the battle for them. Hallelujah. And it's the same way with you. You've been waiting back saying, God, I really need you to come through. And he's saying, get up on your feet and start a marching because when you get there, I'll already have taken care of it. So they panicked and they ran into the night, abandoning their tents and horses and donkeys and everything else as they fled for their lives. And when the men with leprosy arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine, and they carried off silver and gold and the clothing, and they hid it. Best day ever for a bunch of lepers. And then one of them says, you know, guys, this is not right. Everybody else back there is starving. Maybe we should go tell them. So they go back, they tell them, and the people are kind of like, maybe... So the king sends out a few scouts and they come back and say, yeah, it's true. And so it says in verse 16, then the people of Samaria rushed out and plundered the, the Aramean camp. So it was true that six quarts of choice flour were sold that day for one piece of silver. And 12 quarts of barley grain were sold for one piece of silver, just as the Lord has promised. What has the Lord promised you? It'll be just as he promised. What has he spoken to your heart? What has he said to you out of his word? It shall be as his promise was. But I have to tell you that this whole story doesn't happen without the first. What story am I talking about? They're at Dothan. The army surrounds Elisha. The servant sees that God is with them. They march a blind army into the city of Samaria, and the king says, My father, should I kill them? Should I kill them? And Elisha's response was, next verse, Adam, Of course not. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink and send them home again to their master. Your victory for tomorrow starts today. When God tells you to give, you give. And so they fed the army so that they could beat the army. That's how much seed time and harvest means to God. Yeah. That today, you are sowing for your future. Amen. So if you don't like where you are today and you don't want to be there tomorrow, change what you're giving today. Amen. We're not talking about money, but you can give of your time. You can give of comfort you can give of encouragement you can give of joy you can just give of being there for someone else but we end up being so self-centered sometimes and i am very selfish with this way i my goodness there's times where god's told me to do things for people and i've been like oh, i don't have the time and god's saying if you saw tomorrow you wouldn't say that right. and so the victory of israel started 
the day before. And it will be no different for you. Whatever God has told you to do, do it. Because it's playing into your future. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what you have promised, it shall come to pass. It doesn't matter how big the army. It doesn't matter how much of a famine it seems like. Today is the day of your salvation. And so we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are blessed. Have a wonderful week. We will see you all soon. Don't forget about Harvest Pie Sunday next week. Woo!